Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening, everybody. Hello, and welcome to Catholic Spirituality and Mysticism, where we talk about things that uh, deal with the supernatural, as well as other topics that are Catholic and other issues of the day. All right, so as we begin this program, we would like to offer up our prayers for the people down in the Carolinas or in the uh, bullseye of Hurricane Florence. We offer up that St. Michael protect them and the Virgin Mary place her mantle of protection around all the people and the property and the land and uh, that this hurricane uh, not be as bad as they're saying. The people be protected and heed the warnings and um, everything uh, taking place during the hurricane and its aftermath that uh, it go uh, smoothly with as least uh, damage as possible. So tonight uh, we begin the show here. We're going to talk a little bit about Our Lady of America. Uh, some of you may have heard of this apparition really quickly. It's not been approved. But we're going to touch on a couple things and then some issues of our church today. Obviously, Many of the headlines for the Catholic Church involve the abuse uh, scandal. And uh, as some of the agencies and uh, some of the websites are reporting uh, just last week that the abuse really took off uh, around 1955 and up to and then kind of calmed down, simmered down in the mid-1980s. But... These incidents, uh, whether they have happened recently, whether it happened in the past, obviously they're coming back to haunt the uh, church and the American bishops um, like they've never uh, had uh, this kind of uh, problems. Now, I mentioned on a show two weeks ago, um, we did some of the abuse and what was happening throughout the church in the 11th century, and uh, suffice it to say that the church in 2,000 years has had its share of scandals, its share of adversity, its share of challenges at each and every epoch, you know, whether it was the Protestant Reformation, whether it was the Bubonic Plague, whether it was those similar scandals in the 11th century, whether it was the uh, Mongols possibly sacking Rome, the Dark Ages, uh, three popes at one time, you know, some bad popes uh, during different times. The reason, of course, we know this, uh, and we'll touch on this later in the show when we talk a little bit about the church and some of the history of the church, is that it's made up of sinners. And we've got to take that all the time into consideration. And, you know, to me, that's one of the greatest signs uh, that the church is what Jesus started and what we say it is. Again, we'll talk about this a little later. Um, in its holiness, in its being unblemished because of Christ, because another institution, another man-made institution in 2,000 years with all the trials that uh, the church has had would have long ago fallen, like many of our civilizations, long ago. But it continues to do what it's supposed to do. But again, we'll talk about that later. So what does this have to do with the scandals? Well, we see... Uh, that many of the back, uh, backlash uh, with specifics are at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in D.C., uh, that archdiocese. And this is where uh, ex-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, disgraced, once reigned. And from uh, some reports of today, and we'll see how this plays out with the current cardinal, uh, Donald Worrell, he may resign. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, that's not sure yet, but let's see how this all plays out. But uh, nonetheless, uh, these are trying times. Now, this begs the question, of course, what is it about that period of, say, 30 years or so, or from 55, 1955 to 1985 uh, that had such an uh, explosion of this type of abuse? And what we want to do on the show tonight is see this as a little bit of a, a remarkable uh, uh, 
time because it's precisely in the mid when this abuse was starting that the Virgin Mary, again, this is alleged now, remember, this is not a, an approved apparition. And very quickly, you know, I've talked uh, on several shows about apparitions and how we need to be discerning. And that it's a safe bet to go with the ones at the church like Fatima, Lourdes, Knock, La Salette. These are, are good to go, Guadalupe certainly, uh, because we need that kind of discernment because there are many, there are real prophets today, just as there have been since biblical times to now our century. And the key is to have discernment to know which are false prophets, which St. Paul talked about way back when, and that same application applies to us today. So we need to be discerning, need to be discerning, especially during the age of social media and Internet, when many things can be doctored, many things, uh, there are many charlatans, and uh, these are designed to hurt, uh, destroy credibility, and we've got to be very, very careful. But I wanted to touch on this, again, not an approved one. And again, also, remember as Catholics, even with the approved apparitions, they're not what uh, is that divine revelation, which ended with the apostles, that we have to believe, which comes down from the church, from the apostles, because we believe that Jesus started the Catholic Church. We're the only ones to make that claim apostolically, right from the get-go, laying hands on Peter in Matthew. And upon this rock I build my church in the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. And then we've got an old and broken line of these popes right up today to Pope Francis. So we want to remember that that's what we have to do. That's mandatory. That's required. We can't make and pick and choose what we want to do here with that divine revelation and change things what Jesus did. So as long as we're good on the truths that Jesus himself enacted, then we're good to go. So as Catholics, the apparitions... And the approved ones, they can enhance our faith, build our faith, and, you know, these apparitions uh, with Mary specifically lead us, as she did back when she was alive with her son Jesus, to him. Always Mary pointing to her son Jesus. She doesn't want the credit. She doesn't want the worship. She wants us to worship Jesus, and she points that way. And that's why many of your apparitions are important for us to look at, and if uh, the approved ones from the church... They can enhance our faith because they will always lead us to Jesus, not away, not away. So that's very important. So anyway, um, this alleged uh, apparition of Virgin Mary, Our Lady of America, began manifesting, manifesting excuse me, to a cloistered nun named Sister Mildred Mary Newville. And she was an, of the contemplative sisters of the indwelling trinity in Ohio, Fostoria, Ohio. Now, Sister uh, Neville is now deceased, and she was asked by the Blessed Virgin to have a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary constructed in place after a solemn procession in the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. And if this was done, the U.S. would turn back toward morality, and the shrine would become a place of wonders. Now, this should start to sound familiar if you've been following the show and you're familiar with some of the apparitions. Specifically, we look at Fatima right now, and we see with the consecration of the bishops, if that had been done, how Russia would not have spread the errors of her way. We know that was not done until 1984. And I'm not going to get into the controversies about that. That may be a topic for another show, but right now we're going to stay on this. So, a request about 18 years ago, along with a letter that had been sent to the Pope's personal secretary, and this was Monsignor Stanislaw Jesus, was requesting not only the construction of the statue, but a solid consecration of the U.S. in order to avoid catastrophe. So there was this request that was sent out 18 years or so ago, and this was done, it would have been done with a consecration. That's why we can see the link here to Fatima. Now, again, I want to point out again, this is not an approved apparition. And in this um, appearance of the Blessed Mother, 
if, if we take this on face value now, it seemed to allude to a clerical scandal on Holy Saturday of 1981 when she allegedly told Sister Nuzil, many unnatural acts are being committed in the name of love. This evil is being disguised and tolerated as an intrinsic right like any other. Even some of my priests and consecrated virgins are being caught up in this web of evil, not realizing its terrible consequences. Okay. Now, the apparition was never acknowledged by the U.S. hierarchy and the request to honor Our Lady. And it may have been overlooked or ignored as a fantasy. Again, you know, you've got to be discerning in all these things. Now, that letter uh, and part of a campaign spearheaded in Ohio and California at the beginning of this century asked the official church to honor her as Our Lady of America and to unite all the bishops of the United States in consecrating America to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for the protection of our nation and the sanctification of so many souls. Now, so there's been these groups, these small groups, that have, you know, petitioned to acknowledge this apparition and consecrate America to the Immaculate Heart. Now, we know good things happen to Portugal, especially during World War II when Portugal was consecrated to the Virgin. So you see in parts of Spain also were protected, those that consecrated those areas to her. So even if we don't acknowledge this apparition as being true, this is my opinion, it sure doesn't hurt to consecrate this country and its people to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I am so happy in our diocese in Connecticut that the Archbishop has uh, given us a prayer to Mary after each and every Mass in addition with the St. Michael prayer that Pope Leo composed when he had a vision of the devil getting into the church and causing great, great havoc. And he composed that St. Michael prayer that so many pray, that so many use after the rosary, that's so famous. And it was done after every Mass for many, 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 many years. And then it was stopped. So we're seeing a resurgence of this. And this is, this is again, in my opinion, a good thing. I think good things are going to happen. So, again, it sure does not hurt to consecrate one's country, one's state, one's family, especially those in the family, to consecrate our hearts to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and also um, to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, certainly, certainly. Now, in 2000, again, it was uh, these groups and these websites wanted to inquire the National Basilica about honoring that request. Again, that statue and the consecration, importantly. And it, again, was quickly brushed aside. And yet, the messages of the Virgin Mary were clear. And this one from October 13, 1956, let them finish it quickly and make it a place of pilgrimage, she said of the Basilica then under construction. So the hour grows late, she says, in 1957. My son's patience will not last forever. And then in November of 1956, she taught Sister Nuzil a simple prayer by the holy and immaculate conception, O Mary, deliver us from evil. Also in 1957, she said, to tell the bishops of the United States, my loyal son, of my desires, and how I wish that them to be carried out through him, who is head over you, make known the longings of my immaculate heart to establish the reign of my divine son in the hearts of men and thus save them from the scourge of heaven, both now and hereafter. So we see these are serious, as they always are. Because remember, in the apparitions that are approved of the Virgin Mary, it's all about coming back to Jesus, about true repentance, true sorrow for sin, changing our ways to avoid that sin, being sorry for sin, making confession, making amends, and then trying 
to live that conversion out each day. So always, always to go back to Jesus, go back to Jesus. Now, it was said through this devotion and at the placement of the statue in Washington that Sister Mildred said she was told the U.S. would assume a place of special spiritual as opposed to just political leadership. And then, this is what Sister Mildred said, um, and avoid uh, what were repeatedly warned uh, from the Virgin Mary of coming events to this country. Now, interestingly, the apparitions of Mary begin in 1956 on the eve of the Feast of the North American Martyrs. And these were the first martyrs, of course, coming from Europe uh, into North America to uh, uh, be uh, missionaries for the North American Indians. And they were canonized in connection with, of course, America. Now, according to his sister, Joseph Therese, now deceased, but back then a spokesman for the contemporary sisters, a letter imploring that they heed Our Lady's request had been sent to Monsignor Jesus, and he apparently, you know, wanted to follow this up with a visit to Rome with a couple from New Jersey that was supporting this cause. Remember, I just mentioned that there were some groups and some people that really wanted this uh, Our Lady of Americas to uh, be approved and followed up with Our Lady's request. And the letter was made, made the request that the American bishops at least read the messages, construct the statue of Our Lady of America, and place it at the shrine following that solemn procession, after which the messages say the shrine would be, become a place of a major pilgrimage. Now, in the Revelations, Mary reportedly said that this was done if this was done, excuse me, the shrine would become a place of wonders, which I mentioned. And such miracles would be more at the level of spiritual conversion, the Virgin indicated, spiritual conversion. Now, Sister Mildred died on January 10, 2000, at the age of 83. But she left a small booklet of messages and a detailed correspondence with the Archbishop. And the messages from Mary came to a hall around 1981, and that's the year that St. John Paul II arrived, and when the abuse cases began a sharp decline, dwindling by 1985 to pre-1955 levels. So we see that the Basilica has many statues of the Virgin Mary from around the world, but not one represents the United States. And unfortunately, no aspect of the request has ever been fulfilled, despite Again, guarded camp fightings by, by small groups who tried to promote the apparitions. And at one time, this had the support of Cincinnati Archbishop Paul F. Uh, Label, who granted the messages an imprimatur. And what that is is that what is in the messages or what is in a book or a show or whatever it is, when they give an imprimatur, nothing is scandalous to the faith. So uh, those are important, the imprimaturs. But... Uh, just about no of the other bishops, and certainly none in Washington, where, of course, now we see the scandals uh, of the American church, and even putting now the Vatican into crisis that was foreseen and warned about as a catastrophe happened. So there's some food for thought here that, again, if we had heeded the warning of Fatima and did what the, the Virgin Mary asked, World War II would not have happened. And, of course, it did, and we, we saw the, the fallout from that, and that is a mild understatement. Uh, and here we see the abuse scandal that takes place. And maybe if it, this had been done, again, this is not approved, this would have stopped. But, you know, one of the problems, again, this is just an opinion on my part, uh, is that we have gotten away from the supernatural. And while the church has to have uh, an aspect that is judicial, we also need to get into that supernatural and stay there because there is a great deal about this that is part of the mystical aspect of our lives. And certainly I mentioned Pope Leo and Satan getting into the church. And that's, again, what this is all about. This isn't just... Um, some priests 
some bishops, uh, some higher-ups with homosexuals, without them that are covering up, what have you. There's a lot more here than meets the eye and a lot more at stake. And again, some could be willing uh, compatriots in this evil and others may not. But the point of the matter is, this is all about the supernatural. And that's why we're seeing this. Because many believe that Satan's time is growing shorter and the heat is being turned up on us. And I mentioned in a couple shows again ago, we must, Catholics, never lose hope. Never lose hope. And we are going to see, you know, even uh, with all that has happened to the church, and all it will happen, because it, the odds are here that this is only the beginning. I read today that uh, five more states may now have investigations of uh, themselves as they uh, Pennsylvania did. So the odds are this is going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. It will get better. And again, I, I keep referring, before he became Pope, Cardinal Ratzinger making that uh, what could become very prophetic statement that the church will be smaller, stronger, and holier. And that's okay. That's okay. Because the, the gates of hell will not prevail. And I mention again that the Catholics that are devoted, ones that go to daily mass, the ones that are doing the rosary, that are offering their crosses, their sacrifices for all this, they're turning up the heat themselves. They're getting more devout. They're doing more prayer, more sacrifices. They're seeing, get, receiving the Eucharist more, making holy hours, trying to get others involved in our Catholic faith to fight because they know about the spiritual nature of this warfare. And they know the importance of it. They see the importance of it. And they're doing that. So there's a lot of hope. I mentioned I was at a college graduation party and how impressive the young people hungry for the truth of Jesus, great Catholics. They know their faith. They're solid in their faith. This isn't going to throw them. If anything, they're going to fight back harder, and that's what we need to do. And I mentioned that a couple shows ago, if you want to check that in the archives about what we can do. But right now, what I'd like to do is just go back a little bit and talk a little bit about our church and, and show you the pluses because we just want to stay in the negative all the time. And it's easy to do today. You know, I, I thought about this this week, you know, how easy it is on social media, which I, I don't get involved with the Facebooks or Twitters or anything like that, but how easy it is, whether it's even true or not, to ruin somebody. And I talked to a gentleman that actually was up for a position uh, at a teaching position at a university and was actually, because of a question he asked, was warned, hey, you're not going to do this. Because basically what they're telling them is, we can blackball you, and you, won't, you will not work. Not at what you want to do. And that's a very scary thing, because whether it's proven or not, once it's out on social media, people are going to run with it. And those that want to believe the worst of people, they're going to do that. And they can cause harm, whether it's true or not. It's a very scary thing. You know, the Internet, the social media program, they're a tool. Like, just, you know, good or evil. Good or evil. Remember, always coming back to that supernatural. We've got to look, try to look at this from the eyes of eternity and see what's really going on, like St. Paul mentioned. It's not about powers of the flesh. It's way beyond that. Way, way beyond that. Because this is, in the end, a battle about souls and where we end up at the end of time and the end of our uh, lives here before Judgment Day, because many of us listening to the show right now will probably um, have our judgment before the final judgment. But again, you never know. Only the Father knows when that happened. So when we look at the church and we see what, what it actually is, because the church makes the claim and can just hear that the church holy and spotless and without blemish. And you can, I'll sure that people say, yeah, right. How do you figure that? And they'll roll off all the stuff. 
from the scandal today to the Inquisition to the Crusades to whatever they want to do. Many, many times, at least in the uh, debates and dialogues that I had without any factual foundation, but lots of emotion, but not facts. And the church makes that claim. So if you're in the, if you're encountering people that are doing this and you'd like to uh, have something to come back with, the church makes that claim that it's spotless and without blemish because of Christ. Because he's the one that started the church, not us, not man. And the church is led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not going to fall into sin. So we have to look and see what the church is. And there are really five keys. It's mystery. It's community. It's a herald. It's an institution. And it's a servant. And these are critical. Now, the mystery. In our sacraments, and these are tangible gifts that God has given us to draw us closer to him, to give us grace, whether it be the Eucharist, where we actually receive him, his body and blood, we receive him, or confession, we're forgiven and absolved of our sins and given sanctifying grace to clean us up. Our baptism, which not just covers up or tries to hide, but actually takes away original sin. These are mysteries in themselves. Because how, how is this? Because Christ gives this. And the church led by the Holy Spirit, and this is one of the reasons this is holy, is because the church are the dispensers of this sacrament. So in essence, the church is sacramental itself because it's used by God to uh, give us and initiate these sacraments for our salvation, for our grace, giving us grace. Because basically, when we receive these sacraments, without getting technical here, just in, in really easy terms to try to understand, the sacraments are an encounter with God. Right? The finite meets the infinite. The natural meets the supernatural. God meets his people. And this is the mystery. This is the mystery. And many, many years ago, Augustine, one of the greatest uh, church doctors, um, brilliant, brilliant theologian, was battling with uh, the Pelagics as well as the Donatists. And they, the Donatists, believe that, you know, if you left the faith or you fell into sin, and you wanted to come back, well, you needed to be baptized again. And that was a problem. And Augustine had to deal with this. And then, and this is so true today, Pelagianism is where man is, is very good. He's good, and he really doesn't need a savior because he's so good that he can save himself. And so, henceforth, the danger here is that you don't need Jesus. And Augustine deals with this, and he looks at and comes up with what original sin is, what it did, what it continues to do, and how that one baptism, he says, is that that's valid. Because once baptized, you're always baptized because, again, and that's why it was important for him to begin that uh, talk of uh, baptism for the infants, because that sin is taken away. And we do need a Savior. And that's what he told the Pelagics, because we are under original sin. And we basically cannot save ourselves. And it was really, really brilliant. And, you know, he told them, both groups, that the church is a hodgepodge of saints and sinners. And basically, God is the only one that knows which is which, who is which and what's in their heart and why they do the things they do. So for Augustine... Once baptized, always baptized. You don't need to be rebaptized because God is exercising his power through the sacraments. 
And in that regard, if a priest, Augustine says, is doing the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist, that sacrament of the Eucharist, that tra- transubstantiation that will take place is valid even if the priest is in mortal sin because God is the one that exercises power in these sacraments. And that's true for us to believe, especially if anyone's listening to the show tonight and you may have been abused and, or you know of someone that was abused and you went to the confessional and that priest was in there. Yes, he can still absolve you of your sins because he's not the one doing it. It is Christ. Persona Christi, these priests, whether they elevate the Eucharist, do the prayers of consecration, where the bread and wine become body and blood of Jesus, or the confessional, or the sacraments, these priests are used by Jesus to do that uh, sacrament and make it valid. And it's a brilliant, brilliant argument and statement uh, from Augustine. And, you know, Augustine uses a beautiful uh, analogy that I'd like to share and it's the Good Samaritan, which many of us are uh, well aware of in the uh, New Testament. And the Samaritan, in this case, is Jesus. The wounded man is us in our woundedness of sin. And the inn is the church. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful analogy that Augustine used. And we need to really, you know... Uh, meditate and contemplate on that because it's so true. It's so true today. So the church then is mysterious in this sacrament that when we, again, need to listen to Augustine's words that even if the priest be in mortal sin, our sacraments are still valid. Valid confessions, valid Eucharist, valid masses, everything. So we don't have to have that fear. Even if we know and we see what's happening now, uh, what's happening in the church, we need to realize that, that this is all God here is what makes the church holy and without blemish and spotless because it's his, he started, what he started. Because we must remember that the church's members, you and I, the priests, the bishops, the pope, were sinners. The members are sinners. We're not perfect. We're not, in many cases, holy, and we are not spotless. But what Christ started as that institution is, and you can be comfortable in that, and, and you can have great faith in that when discussing that and be sure of that. Now, the church, <coughs> excuse me, has a mission. I mentioned one of those keys was a herald. And that mission is to proclaim the gospel and that gospel being the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now, again, how, how does this all work out in, in the church setting? Well, we mentioned the sacramental, the mysterious aspect of it as one of the keys. And it's through our word and the word of God, worship, and the way we do that within the church, within community, and service. And how we, as ordinary human beings, can do extraordinary things with the Holy Spirit in that mission. Because, you see, when we proclaim the word, when we come together as community to worship, and that's why I mentioned this before, Jesus, you need to have a personal relationship with him, indeed. But it's also within the context of the community of the church. That's how Christ set it up. So you need both. You need both. Imperative that you, you have both. And in this way, when we perform our service, we and the church are Christ's presence in the world. And we need, especially now, to be that presence. And that's why I mentioned a few moments ago that the faithful Catholics, those that have been devout for many years, or maybe just converted. a lot of converts are great Catholics. They learn their faith, and they are uh, they know the apologetic aspect of it, and they can uh, defend the faith, and they're serious and love it because it's 
not taken for granted by converts. And they're some of the best apologetics we can have. And they're willing to go out and defend, and they fear nothing. They're awesome people, and we need to pray uh, for these members of our church. Now, again, I mentioned we're turning up the heat. They're turning up the heat. We should be, too, with our devotions and trying to maybe go, to, if we don't go to daily mass, maybe once a week add another day, and maybe it, it goes uh, and, it, and adds up. And then before you know it, you're going uh, week, every day. So many are. And it's great. Maybe we're going to do the holy hours or during the top time during our lives, offer up those crosses for the salvation of souls, for the church, for the bishops, everything, for these priests that have been accused. So it's very important, very important. Now, St. Paul in Romans, I believe it's Romans uh, chapter 7, seven uh, where he states that Basically, he doesn't understand because he knows that he should do, yet he doesn't do it. And that's, that's us, the members of the church. We know what we're supposed to do. I know I do when I don't do it. And that's us. And that's why the church then is always in the need of reform. Um, the Latin, I think, for that is Ecclesia Semper Retromata, that the church always needs to be reformed because it's on a pilgrimage. It's sojourning until the end. And all of us within the church are on that journey until it's perfected at the end of time. And so for that, in that regard, we've all got to be led by the Holy Spirit to reform. And that's in my, uh, my opinion, is what's happening now. I think we're seeing a lot of things stripped away, uh, whether it be right now with the church abuse scandal, what's coming out. Um, certainly in politics, we see it looks like uh, the justice the system here with the FBI was maybe trying to unseat the will of the people. We see in Europe certain things happening in other countries. You know, we see Hollywood being stripped away of all the things they told us we're supposed to do, or that unfortunately they've been doing, and that they complain about other people. They've actually been doing these things, and that's being stripped away. And a lot of things are being uncovered. And this includes families and individuals that were having this introspective, whether it's ourselves or forced and it's laying out a lot of things that were hidden for time in all facets of our lives in all areas and that is not necessarily a bad thing because good things will happen you know when we talk about what St. Paul said about knowing the good and not being able to do it and then we try to put the church or people, and sometimes I think they use this as an excuse not to worship or not to believe in God because it's an easy cop-out. Now, that's why I don't go to church. You see what's going on with those Catholics? You know, the nuns used to wrap us on the knuckles and stuff like that, and now this abuse thing. But, you know, we've got to realize that right from the get-go, right from Jesus with his crucifixion and the first 300 years of the church, there was trouble, big trouble. Let us not, when we hear in some of the mass readings, when we hear in the New Testament and they name the apostles, don't forget, at the end is Judas, the one who was Jesus' hand-picked troops. So right from the get-go, there was betrayal and there was, and that certainly was the case in the first 300 years. Don't forget that it was the Christian, Christianity did not come out of the dark into the light until Constantine. And seeing that vision of the cross in the sky and in this vision, in this sign, you will be victorious. And he, you know, that's why uh, the church was able, the Christianity, excuse me, was able to come out of dark and into the light. 
and became, in the 300s, the state religion. So we see, again, through every epic of this history of the Catholic Church, you're seeing these battles. And that's how it's going to be because, again, this is what it's about. It's, it's not about the, it's the humanist, yes, to a degree that members of the church, we are sinners. And we know what's right, we know what's wrong, but we, we have that, what Augustine called that concupiscence, that leaning toward the dark, the leaning to sin. No, the worst one by Jesus. We want to win these battles so that we can get to heaven and be with Him. And that's why it's so important to never give up. Now, to just go back really quick, to use the excuse that this is the reason I don't follow God or worship, it's because of, like you Catholics and do this. You know, it's a bad thing when this is what people um, receive from us because, you know, Christ, and this is a. a a sobering scripture passage is about the millstone, about leading these innocent ones. Better if a millstone, you know, remember that one? And that's, that's sobering. So this, this is very serious stuff. Do not get me wrong. I'm not trying to sugarcoat any of this. You know, there's talk now about lady being involved, maybe with some uh, legal powers, but to investigate some of this because there's uh, – Discussion that you can't rely on the bishops now because they've, they've earned that lack of trust. So there's a lot of things that are going to happen. And again, I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. So I don't want to sugarcoat this. It's, it's horrific what it is And there's There's got to be. There's got to be. And I'll try to get back at, uh, by the close of the, the show, but I, I just want to go back to the church now that to use that as an excuse, abuse, bad behavior, or to the, you know, the priest, and that they fell off the pedestal, and this is why I don't do that. If you use that kind of reasoning, you better not go to your doctor because in people in the medical profession, don't do good things many times because what? They're sinners. And you better not send your kids to school, at least to public schools, because they've done quite a bit of abuse themselves. As a matter of fact, the statistics pay it out more than the priest scandal. So they're sinners too. So you better not send your kids there. And you know, I probably don't have to tell you that for the love of money, banking institutions and corporations and other businesses have done some not nice, good things through the ages. So I guess you don't invest in stocks. You don't bank. You might want to bury your cash. Don't apply for loans. And you know, you may not even want to go to the grocery store because the people that work there are sinners. So you must have to grow your own food and become self-sufficient. Now, that's a stretch, and everybody would admit that. But you, that's why you can't use that kind of analogy to not seek God out or his church because the church is made up of sinners, and we're trying. And sometimes we do great things. I mentioned one of those mysteries as service. Let's look at some of the good stuff that the Catholic Church has done. You know, I know about the abuse scandal. So do you. We know about accusations of anti-Semitism. That's been there. And we know about things like the Inquisition, although now a lot of scholars, a lot of historians are finding that is uh, that quite wasn't the case. You know, maybe we'll do a show on that because... Um, we're finding out now uh, through recent history that, and some of the documents that are being uncovered now and discovered, that uh, that wasn't actually true what was happening during the Inquisition. A lot of it was motivated by power and uh, to undermine uh, political uh, entities. 
So we'll take a look at that later. I don't want to spend too much time on that. So again, there's some of the bad marks. But when you look at some of the great organizations that the Catholic Church has done and helped out the poor and giving dignity to women and uh, the encyclicals by popes about workers' rights and just wars and abortion and all the stuff that we have to deal with now as a modern society as well as past, it's awesome what they've done and giving dignity to the poor, and, you know, especially individual priests that have done so much and are under the radar that you don't hear about because it's all good what they do and benefits mankind and these people and leads many people to the church and Jesus because of their actions that tend not to be um, uh, paraded around as much as a scandal. Remember, too, there's always agendas here. We've got to sift through a lot of stuff. And now I'd like to talk about that accountability, uh, just segue into that, because there has to be accountability in the Catholic Church. This stuff about cover-ups and stuff, and we're going to see where this all goes. You know, I like to wait and see. You know, I think we live in an age now, um, especially with stuff like the Me Too movement and some of the affirmative action things and just so much political correctness. Um, that you're guilty whether you're innocent or not. I mentioned that uh, in the show with the social media. And we still got to wait to see, because in this country I still believe that we are innocent until proven guilty. And that may not necessarily be true anymore. So we've got to be careful with that. But obviously many things were done. There were cover-ups. I'm not going to try and hide that or, or hide behind or sugarcoat it. And there's got to be accountability. There has to be. There's got to be accountability in politics. There's got to be accountability in the medical profession, in lawyers, in the school system, and in our families and within our own lives individually. Because we live in a time, and I don't think we get much argument, that people are no longer accountable for their actions. I look in and see, and I won't name the stations, but there are news outlets that basically make up stories and lie, and they don't retract it. And you know why they don't retract it? Because there's no accountability. Nothing's going to happen to these people. And you can have people in power try to undermine the people. And I'm not just talking about politics now. You can have this in your own workplace, in your own families. And they're able to continue to do this, whether it be at the FBI or Hollywood or news agencies, the church, because there's no accountability. You know, accountability also is tied in with honor, in which I believe we are lacking a great deal of honor. This is certainly the, not the honorable, my generation is not the honorable generation that my father's was and the ones before them. And they did stand for something. And it was real to them. And they paid a price for that. And my generation, to a degree, there are some of us that do do that, that try to do that. Just as in this generation, there are some but it's slipping because many don't. It's about getting off the hook and then living to do it another day. It'd be one thing if you, quote, beat the system, learn from it, and amended your ways. The problem, as I see it, is that in many instances, it's just another excuse to keep on keeping on. And if we had honor, we would be accountable. Because when we goofed up, we admit it. And there's not a lot of that. You know, I was watching uh, one of the uh, fights the other day, and the guy lost. And, you know, many times it's easy. I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't on. I had a cold. I was hurt. And in some cases, that's true. But what this young man did, and he was undefeated 
and he was really thinking, I'm going to be the champ. And you could see it in his face. And in an interview, all he said was, the better man won tonight. I got to get back to the gym, and I just got to try to do better. And I'm going to learn from this, and I'm just going to try and get better. Wow. I was like, oh, my gosh. What a, what a difference from what we hear. You know? And I, I don't want to pick on the people here, but I, I'm going to jump over to the NFL thing here, where I guess apparently um, they're still, I guess, kneeling or making statements uh, on the American flag. And why I don't know what motivates some of these players to do what they do, but when you're using that as a social statement and some of these guys have nine different children by 11 different women, can we take it seriously? Where's the accountability? Where is the accountability and where is the honor? Where is the honor? Honor, accountability, it's not easy. But I know when I was growing up, if you screwed up, you know, whether it be school, a job, within the family, in the church, you, you know, you, uh, and certainly in the legal system, you pay. You pay. There's accountability. And you learned, you know, it seemed you learned more. And it taught you different things. And you could become a better person and grow from it and not go backward. And sure, you may slip. And there might be one step and then forward and two back. But now, again, it just seems that you can get away with anything. You can get away with anything. It depends on your, your status, your power, your wealth your fame, many things, many things. And even not that, just being able to beat the system. And people are content to do it. So we need to kind of tie it up, and maybe, maybe that will come back. I mentioned that things seem to be being stripped away, and that may be all part of it. We may be coming back to the times when the church and the members of it had great honor and were accountable. We may be coming to that in politics. We may be coming to that in our society, in our education, our legal systems, our medical uh, society, and in our families and within our own lives, which is where it all starts, where it all starts. So we have a lot of hope in that. And that's why it may not be that bad that these things are being uh, stripped away. Because don't forget, we as a church have unity and we have diversity. We have, uniform, we have unity in our uh, faith, and yet we have diversity in our practices. And what I mean is, is our cultures. Each culture has different things that they bring to worship. And these are not necessarily bad things, but good things. Because if it's not against the teaching of Jesus, and that's the key, the, key, the truths of Jesus are just that. And I know in today's society, and including, including within our, our own church, there, there's a tendency in some uh, places to change that, to bend with the society. And that's, not, that's something we've got to be really aware and critical. As Catholics, we have a right to point this out to our priests and bishops when Jesus' truths are being strayed from. We have every right. And we accept and love the other cultures and what they can bring to the Mass, which is awesome, and increases and edifies the members of the community in the church. Again, as long as they're uh, in line with the teachings of Jesus. So we have that university in, uh, un unity and diversity, and that's a good thing because that culture and worship brings uh, new ideas and new things to appreciate this beautiful quilt that Jesus throughout time is weaving within us 
to make a family because that's what this is all about. Family in the end and being with him. And while the church is universal, and we know this, we have an apostolic succession, as I mentioned, from Peter Wright to Francis, it also is local because it's something called a subsidiary where the local problems of the church are solved locally. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. Certainly can't be running to the Pope and the Vatican every time there's a problem. You need to have that uh, process of subsidiary uh, so that you can take care of these local problems and make it right and make it right. You know, too, the church is multifaceted in many, many, many things, many things. And you can see this um, through Scripture, right? When we look at the book of Acts and we see Pentecost and that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit. So that's one facet. We look at Peter, letter first Peter, and that church is what? It's the people of God. And I'm sure you've heard this before. It's not the buildings. It's not the... It is us, the people of God. That is correct. That is correct. So we have this church, this institution that Jesus started, led by the Spirit, part of the Trinity, for the people of God. And when we look at the Gospel of John, here is where we become attached personally to Jesus. And we look at the, through the, the Scripture stories of the vine and the branches. And Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us, that leads us to those living waters, walks with us in the valley of death, so we should fear no evil. For he is by our side with his rod and staff. And then we look at Matthew. And that church being built on Peter, the rock. But the power is exercised by Jesus because it's his. That's why St. Paul is able to... Um, show that Jesus loves his church as a bridegroom loves his bride. And it's important for us to remember that. So we see all this in, in our church. And we'll do a show uh, maybe next week on the, on the early church fathers. Um, but we'll see how this develops over a period of time, how you go from a, remember, in the first 300 years, this was difficult. They went from a loose community to having then a, uh, many churches, but all united with that church that went from Jerusalem to Rome, but yet acted locally, but were still unified. And how this came about through a, uh, a, a hierarchy, through the bishops and the priests and then the deacons. And... Uh, how the people were involved. Again, going back to First Peter, that the church is the people of God. So there's a lot to be hopeful here as we're, again, probably going to see things get uh, not what we'd like to see uh, in the future. And we've got to have that hope because the church has been through some stuff just as you and your family have been through some stuff. And you've overcome in many cases. And that's what the church will do because Jesus met that, made that promise to Peter that the gates of hell won't prevail. And we know that Satan has not prevailed. Jesus is the ultimate. And we need to remember that at each Mass, at each Eucharist, when we pray, when we make our holy hours, and when we look especially at each of our fellow brothers and sisters, whether they be pope, bishop, neighbor, priest, what have you. We're all on this, as Catholics, this sojourn to the promised land Jesus has promised us. And there's going to be some times when we're with Jesus, like on Mount Tabor, on the Transfiguration, and other times when we're in the valley. But Jesus tells us in Scripture, he who perseveres will be saved in the end. God bless, brothers and sisters, and good night. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back 
for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.